questions. Today, uh, for Father's Day, uh, I had a message that I really just kind of been brewing on my heart. I, I get this every couple of years. I get kind of a bee in my bonnet about something, and, um, and I got to find outlets for it. So sometimes it's B3, uh, sometimes it's our camping trip, sometimes it's other men's groups that I, I kind of insert this into. But every once in a while, I just have to talk about a message that I believe every man needs to hear. And so today, in our Father's Day, we just, I'm, I'm dedicating this message to the men in the room, okay? Definitely the dads, but the men in the room, the young men, the old men the men in between. I'm, I, I believe there's something for you that's going to encourage you today. I'm encouraging the women who are in relationship with men, okay, whether it's ones you want to have in the future, ones you have right now, son, uh, daughters and wives and, and, uh, and, and moms. I, I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage uh, everyone this morning with this, this specific phrase, all right? I have some bottom lines I'm going to give you just to make it easy this morning, but I, I want men to stop apologizing that it's okay to be a man, all right? Yeah. That's not a message I don't believe in our politically correct culture you'll get very often, but I want to encourage you that it's okay to be a man, okay? It's okay to be who God has created you to be. And if you hear that, listen, if you're new and you don't know me and, you know, that can come across as some sort of macho bravado, you know, of a stereotypical man, you know, some sort of, you know, sports-watching, you know, gun-toting, knife-throwing, beer-crushing, right, uh, construction-building, mechanically-fixing uh, lumberjack. That's not me, okay? That's not me at all, just to let you know. That's not who I am. I, I, when I grew up, I was way more into singing and acting than any sport. I still don't follow sports. I don't know how any man talks to me for any length of time at all, right? <laughs> I've learned to fake it fairly well. All right? But I don't, I don't follow sports. I don't have a team necessarily. That's just who I am. Again, I was, I was way more into the arts and things uh, as a kid. And even now, I mean, I'm just way more involved in that. And, I, and for me, just you know, kind of putting it out there, like I, when I go to B3, I drink apple cider and I get made fun of all the time. I just want you to know that. Like, that's okay. That's, that's my extent of being able to have something at B3. And when it comes to construction or mechanical, like, uh, you know, honestly, I'm my extent is like a ceiling fan, all right? And that's, that takes me probably twice as long as it should, okay? So don't hear me say this with any type of stereotypical mindset, like, that's who I am. That's not who I am. It's not who I am. But I believe, I believe that there is a, a call, even for men to be different, but to talk about what is unique about men and what is unique about masculinity in our current culture. The problem is that there's something wrong in our current culture. Not wrong with men, necessarily, just putting it on men. There's something wrong in our current culture when it comes to masculinity. And so uh, there's a state of confusion, right? There's a state of confusion of manhood in our culture today. And, and part of that is because, and I can't get into all this, but part of that is because we really do live and experience a culture that would rather, rather than celebrate the uniqueness of men and women and bring clarity to men about what it means to be a man, I really do feel like we're experiencing a culture, and these are my words, that are just, it's just hell-bent on, on forcing this sort of gender neutrality and an offshoot of, of this idea of sameness upon the men in our culture, all right? And the, and the problem with both of those things, with gender neutrality and the, and the, and the pursuit, pursuit of sameness between sexes, here's the problem. It's either everyone has something special and unique or no one's special at all, okay? That's the problem. 
is you get to the two extremes and it just doesn't work. Now, I can't go into all of that, but Tracy and I have had some conversations and we feel like uh, it's important to talk about. So just to let you know, uh, for our next series, which is a marriage series, uh, Tracy and I, this Tuesday night, are going to do a Facebook Live kind of podcast thing uh, where we're going to talk openly about, you know, just offshoots of feminism and gender neutrality and uh, equality in marriage and how does that work in terms of how God designed it and, and what does it look like today and what do we see that's happening today in today's marriages. And we want to do that to encourage you, uh, but we'll get into a lot more detail that I can't do this morning because of time. But I really do believe that's part of the confusion we experience. But the confusion I want to talk about today is primarily what men themselves are currently feeling and experiencing. When you talk to most men, they're, they're, they're going through a state of confusion themselves that they don't oftentimes understand. And so with the help of counselors and some things that I've read, there's, there's really kind of some categories, I believe, that's kind of below the surface. That whether men are experiencing one or all three of these, uh, that's, that's kind of rampant in our culture today. That's disappointment pain, and loneliness. A disappointment comes most often, and it's primarily because even in the last, you know, half a century or more, men were raised, as young boys, were raised in a culture that tried to tell them what would satisfy them, okay? When it came to their energy and their youth and their sexual escapades and their, and their careers and their materialism and their, and their stuff and their deals and their jobs and even their families that they felt like we're going we're gonna to fulfill a longing that was within them and it's, and it's done nothing but leave them still wanting. It doesn't actually satisfy. And so most men, young and old, all have a level underneath the surface of disappointment in their life because what they, were, what they were told and sold would satisfy them just hasn't. It's really left them wanting. The pain comes from that. Sometimes it comes from uh, our disappointment and the, and the loss of, of what we would love to have seen in the future. Sometimes the pain comes from how we were raised as kids and some of the, maybe the absence of a dad and the absence of men in our life. Maybe it's, the, it's just some of the experiences we, we had. Some of the pain that men experience that are underneath the surface is from mistakes that they've made, that they've made in their young adult years and their teenage years and their young adult years that they can't go back and fix. They can't go back and take back. So sometimes there's pain there. There's disappointment, there's pain, and there's loneliness Loneliness really comes from the fact that most men can know a great deal of other men and yet never actually be fully known. Nod your head if you agree with me on that, men, right? You can, we, men can know a great deal of number of men, acquaintances, coworkers, salespeople, old friends, school friends, college friends, uh, new friends. We can have lots of people in our lives and yet ever, never actually have someone who knows us fully, which beneath the surface really does lead to loneliness. And out of that disappointment, out of that pain, and out of that loneliness, there's a lot of confused men about what it looks like to be a man. What, is it, what does it mean to be a man? And then the church steps in. The church steps in and tries to help, but I don't know if the church does a very good job, primarily because as a church, we consistently need to work on our growth, right? So we talked in our last series about spiritual growth and growing in our, in our relationship with Christ. Why? Why is that so important, especially to men? Well, because we know that lukewarm, childish faith gives us lukewarm, childish men, right? 
Lukewarm, childish masculinity, that's what it produces. So you don't really see that big of a difference between a Christian man and a man in our culture. Because we're all seemingly, for whatever reason, living up to the same expectations. Which is why we have to grow. Why we have to grow in our faith and our understanding of God's will for our life. I want to read this passage of Scripture that really kind of helps paint a picture, if you will. You'll see some similarities to today's culture, but but I want to paint this picture of where God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah at a time when Israel was, you know, you know Israel goes back and forth in their closeness to God and their rebellion. And, and this is a time in which God's judgment was showing up because of their rebellion to God. And I've told you this before, oftentimes when we look, read the curses and the judgment of God, uh, sometimes that is God actively moving and doing some things. And sometimes that's God just letting things play out. Sometimes that's just God letting it work itself out because we are going to experience the consequences of our, of our own decisions. And I see that happening in, in all of this passage. So we're going to, if Isaiah 3, if you want to look at it, again, this is just a picture to help us understand it better this morning. Isaiah 3 says, For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. He talks about the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, but then when he references support for the, for the, for the nation... He says he's going, to, he's going to remove the mighty man. He's going to remove the warrior, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elders, and, and the captain of 50, and the honorable man, and the counselor, and the expert artisan, and the skillful enchanter. And he's going to remove, or sorry, that's what he's removing. He says, and then I'm going to make boys their leaders, and toddlers their rulers. People will oppress each other. Man against man, and neighbor against neighbor. Young people will insult their elders, and vulgar people will sneer at what's honorable. And in those days, a man will say to his brother, hey, since you have a coat, you be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. That's a, that's a high bar for a leader, isn't it? Hey, you have a coat, you know? Why don't you lead? But then he'll reply, no, I can't help you because I don't have any extra food or clothes. Don't put me in charge. And it says, Jerusalem will stumble and Judah will fall because they speak out against the Lord and they refuse to obey him. They provoke him to his face. He says, the very look on their faces, give them away. They display their sin like the people of Sodom. They don't even try to hide it. They're doomed, and they've brought this destruction upon themselves. Again, consequences of their own actions. And later on it says, the childish leaders will oppress my people, and women will rule over them. This is a picture of what it looks like when men are removed from society. When men are removed whether by choice or by culture or by God making that decision. Men are removed from society, and all the leaves are, are really just passionless, you know, directionless, uh, lack of self-control boys and toddlers. You know? And that's why we reread those scriptures like the last series on why it's so important not to remain in our infancy, right? To experience that arrested development, and it goes on to say that when this happens, when, you, when you're, left nothing, you're left with nothing but, but, but men and women who are really just children, he says, then you're going to find oppression. Okay, right? You're going to find, because boyish, boyish leaders in the, in, the, in the form of man, they oppress women. And they oppress children. And they oppress nations and society. They do. And when he goes on to say women will rule over them, that's not a knock on women. Why? Because women have to step up when men do not, right? Men, women have to step up when men do not. When men leave and men are vacant, women then are the ones who are influenced those children. 
Which is why Isaiah is saying that's what's going to happen. It's not what God intended. It's not what his plan was, but it says that's what's going to be left. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. Because Paul, when he, Paul, again, when he writes the church and he challenges us in our growth and understanding, it's not, it, it's not just for us personally, internally, spiritually. It's the impact it's going to have on our world, on our society. Matter of fact, Paul says it this way to the church in Corinth. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Oh, how I wish I could talk to Paul and just find out what does that mean, you know? What, what, was, what was the difference for you in terms of thinking and reasoning like a child versus when you became a man? What does that look like? That's really where I want to encourage us today. I, I want every man in the room to understand that I really do believe this from the bottom of my heart. And if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to get this from me. You can be, you can be the man that God is calling you to be. You can. It's not impossible. It really isn't. It's not out of reach. For you to live fully in the way that God's created you, in the fullness of who you are as a man, a man of valor, an honorable man, a man with initiative, a man with passion, a man with strength, a man that is unique in the way God created him. You can be the man of God that he's calling you to be. Be encouraged by that. Before I get into just how that happens and what I think we need to work on, um, I want to give you a quick resource. Okay, this is a real, I'm trying to do this really quickly, but it's a resource that I have found invaluable and I would love to just share it with you. And it's a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. It's by Dr. Robert Lewis. He's written many books. I've followed him for the past 20 plus years. Uh, great guy. He's in Arkansas. He's got a huge heart for the church and he's got a huge heart for men. Okay, he runs something called Men's Fraternity. I don't know if you've uh, heard anything about that or not. But he wrote this book, Raising a Modern Day Night. It's perfect for dads and moms and people who are raising the next generation if you're having influence. I just challenge you. I mean, anyone can read this and get something out of it. Here's how he defines what's necessary to sort of understand this noble biblical definition, if you will, or clarity around manhood. And he gives it in just four ways. He says, he says noble and biblical manhood rejects passivity. And this whole book, he's talking about the first Adam and the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And he talks a lot about, you know, the differences and how they acted in this world and what the first Adam brought and what the second Adam brought. And, and he says the, the, the real man really does reject that passivity, that, that nature to pull himself away. And in light of that, he accepts responsibility, right? He accepts responsibility. And because of that, he has to lead courageously, lead with strength, lead with honor. Like he, there's no other choice but to then step in to the role that God's designed. But in that, he expects God's greater reward. You know, he's not trying to just squeeze out of a lemon of this life. He's not just trying to squeeze out everything he possibly can for himself, for the now, for the flesh. No, he, he does all of this with commitment and pursuit and valor, to expect God's greater reward in the end. And it's when it comes to raising boys, I'm just, this is so good. This is a quote from the book. It says, sons need a masculine vision. And they need a manhood language. This is really important. And they need a ceremony. He's big on ceremony. That's why he talks about the, the knighthood. And they need other men. 
And he says, knighthood, as an outline, really offers this and more. This is the premise of the book. This is the premise of what he talks about. And I really just want to give it to you as a resource. I just challenge you to read it. I read it actually right before, actually before we had Thomas. I read it when we first started having kids because, I, I, again, I really liked him and I, I understood the importance of it. Today, as I encourage you that you can be the man that God wants you to be and all the man that God's calling you to be, um, I want to talk about three things that I see that I really think help. We, we need to reclaim an appreciation for and an understanding of so we can live out of it and live into it as men. And the first one is faithful allegiance. Faithful allegiance. Let me ask the ladies in the room something, okay? Men, you shut up. Ladies, ladies, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why the men in your life, fathers, sons, brothers, husbands, doesn't matter, the men in your life can, can, can gravitate towards a team, right? Like a team, a sports team. And they can buy shirts and hats and they can buy the channel so they can get all the, the things, right, to view that team. And they will hold on to this team. And the team has, they've sucked for 20 years, right? But, they, but it doesn't matter, right, because it's their team. Ladies, do you understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever wondered why? Yeah, there you go. Be honest. Yes, yes. Why? Because if it's just about winning, don't you cheer for the winner? right? Yeah, that makes total sense. You just cheer for the winner. Who's the best? Honor them. But there's something about it for men. Men, you can speak up. I know, I know it's true. And I want you to know that, that is actually wired in you by God. That God has wired in you allegiance. Did you know that? Did you know that that's from God for you? That this ability to, to, to pledge, this ability to commit, this ability to hold on to, this ability to be loyal to, is from God himself, given to men in creation. It's from him. Problem is, it wasn't really meant to be directed at a sports team. Okay? It wasn't really meant to be directed at hobbies. It wasn't meant to be directed at business you know, ventures. It wasn't really meant to be directed at women. It was meant to be an allegiance to him. Matter of fact, I, I break it out this way, that we need to reclaim faithful allegiance that, that really plays itself out in two ways. One, it's a will to obey and a work to do. There's a will to obey and a work to do. And very quickly, understanding a will to obey is the fact that there is something that we as men, we as men are wired to want to give ourselves to service to something greater than ourselves. You know, we get lost sometimes in this language of our freedom and independence, especially as Americans, North Americans. We, we, we get lost sometimes in this idea of we're supposed to be free, which means unfettered, which means doing whatever we want. But actually, the, the way we've been given freedom by God is so that we don't have to be enslaved to our sin and our flesh, but rather we are free to pledge allegiance to be able to commit and surrender to a will that is not our own. That's what the freedom's for. There's a will to obey. Matter of fact, if you look at it this way, this is Paul, or this is the writer of Hebrews. It says, now, may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will, for actually being able to surrender and, and, and live that faithful allegiance to his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Because when there's a will to obey, there is a work to do. There is a purpose and passion in life that you've been given and you've been gifted and you've been charged and you've been called to do. That's what your allegiance, your faithful allegiance, is really wired for. Now, I'm going to just use this as an example, just an example, okay? Uh, one of our military branches, okay, one of our military branches. I'm not, just don't hear me, I'm not doing favoritisms or anything like that today. <laughs> just using one as an example. Our United States Marines. There you go. Any Marines in the room? There you go. Yeah, the Marines in the room, you know they're in the room. All right. Do you know what their motto is? Semper Fidelis. Did you know what it meant? Well, now you do because it's up here. Go ahead and read it out loud. Read it one more time. Yeah, Semper Fi. You'll hear them say this, but you might think it means something else. But it means always faithful. Always in allegiance to. And what are they faithful to? What, are they, what is their allegiance to? Do you know? If you know, say it out loud. I'll show you. There's lots of versions of this. Maybe you've seen this before, but it's to liberty and freedom for God, core, and country. That's what their allegiance is to. When they say simplify, when they, when they have an always faithful attitude and motto for what they do and why they do it, it is for God, it is for their core, their brotherhood, and it is for the country that they have pledged that allegiance, that they have given that loyalty and commitment to. And guys, it's just, not that, it's just not that far off from what we are called to do as well as followers of Christ. However, I believe our faithful allegiance is to God, family, and society. Very similar. It's to God, it's to family, and it's to society. You'll start seeing it in Scripture when you start to understand the lens of what he's calling us to in terms of surrendering to his will with a work to do. You'll see this, this is in Matthew, where Jesus answers the question and says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's hitting two of them right there. It's not just your country, it's the world. It's loving others, your neighbor who's not like you, loving them as much as I've loved you. And yet family, I really do believe, falls in line with that idea that when you've decided to marry and when you've decided to begin a family, you are, your allegiance is there, your faithful allegiance is to them. Matter of fact, Paul says it this way uh, in Ephesians, he says, husbands, when you love your wives, this is just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. That is always faithful. That is faithful allegiance to a will that we're called to obey and a work that we've been given to do. And sort of re to reclaim, to reclaim this, 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 this masculinity, to reclaim this clear definition for men, what it, for a Christian man, what it means to be a man, it's part of it is reclaiming that idea of faithful allegiance with it, with it being aligned in the right direction. I mean, it's in you men. It's already there. It's just meant for more than what you might be currently experiencing. You can be everything. You can be the man that God's called you to be. The second is a little bit more. I, I can't talk about it fully, but, but really it comes down to social and spiritual strength. That as, a, as men were created, I can go back to Genesis and walk you through the charge given to man when he was created to lead spiritually and to lead socially. 
Okay, this is not, not the only leadership, but it's, it's this charge to a man to lead spiritually and lead socially and to do so out of strength. I love this. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, I have a couple, but they're never, they're never really usually from his more intellectual books. They're always from his stories that I love. And this is a quote from Lucy and the beaver talking about Aslan, who he kind of cloaks as God and, and his stories helps try to draw some parallels. But here's, here's this quote. When she's talking to the beaver, she, Aslan, the beaver to basically explaining who Aslan is. Aslan is the lion, the lion, the great lion. And she says, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? asked the beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Of course he's not safe. He's a lion, <laughs> right? And he says, but he's good. You know, when I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see a nice guy. He wasn't crucified because he was a nice, safe man. And there's a difference there when we look at this idea of what does it look like to be not safe, but good. Not safe, but good. Is the contrast of this kind of leadership, the social and spiritual leadership that comes from strength in us. I really do believe that our generation is calling men up to simply be safe. That's the little world we live in. Doesn't ask very much of men as long as they're safe. And safe men say nothing uncomfortable, and they rally no charge, and they show little, if any, initiative. They are allowed to live convictionless, passionless, and perhaps even Christless as long as they are safe and nice. And to understand that a man's strength although it can be used. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, for centuries, we've seen strength be used poorly. And, and, and again, talking about the, the, the Isaiah passage, when, when boy, when man boys are in leadership, like we've seen the oppression that can happen when strength is not used the way God intended it to be used. But, 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 but in contrast to that, we don't need to overcorrect and remove the strength that is unique to men. Okay? for social and spiritual leadership. We don't need to remove that. We need to better understand that he has called you to this strength and he wants you to align it with the fruits of the Spirit. Right? To align it with the fruits of the Spirit. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. When he talks about being under the Holy Spirit, it produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Look at this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's just talk about the difference. Uh, let's pick a cat and a, a, a tiger, okay? You could say, well, that cat's really gentle. But that cat's not gentle. That cat's just not a problem, right? That cat's safe. That cat is not a threat. But a tiger can exhibit gentleness because he is first strong. Everybody with me? Nod your head. A tiger can exhibit gentleness because he is first strong. That's, the, that's this not safe but good that God, I believe, has called men to live in and live out of, right? Not to use that strength to abuse or to oppress, but to use that strength in alignment with your walk with Christ, in alignment with the, the gifts of the Spirit, in cooperation with God moving in and through you 
so that you can be not safe and not nice. Right? I don't want you to be safe. I don't want you to be nice. I want you to be good. I don't, listen, I don't want you to be safe when it comes to the enemy of your life. I don't want you to be safe when it comes to, you know, to, to uh, people who would threaten your family. I don't want you to worry about being safe when it comes to those who would speak against God. No, you need to be quite dangerous to them. You need to be quite dangerous to the enemy of your heart and soul. The difference is, can you be strong and can you be that, that person of strength and valor and honor and yet be good and kind and gentle and patient? You know, everything we're called to do as Christians is to be done in love. You guys know that, right? The greatest of these is love, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, right? We're called to do it on love. Think about the kind of strength it takes to live up to the kind of love Paul describes, Right? What kind of strength does this take, men? To be patient and kind and to not envy and to not boast and to not be proud and to not dishonor others or self-seeking and is not easily angered, men. Keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth and it always protects and it always trusts and it always hopes and it always perseveres. This love never fails. What, what he's, the kind of love that he's even called us to, to live out of requires your strength. It requires it. You cannot expect to be the man that God's called you to be and yet live this passive life where you have shunned because of culture, because culture just wants you to be safe and nice. You cannot shun the strength that God has placed in you to lead spiritually and to lead socially. Our world needs it. It is dependent on it. We have to reclaim that. And the third is, I'll be quick about this one. It's Christ-centered brotherhood. It's a band of brothers. And that's not something that most men are ever taught as a child to need. And yet it's so necessary. This is another quote from the book, Raising Modern Day uh, Knights. This is another quote from Dr. Lewis. He says, boys become men in a community of men. There is no substitute for this vital component. Listen, there's no substitute for a mother in a boy's or girl's life. But guys, there is no substitute for a father in a boy's and girl's life. They need a community around them. And boys need a community of men living out of that strength, living out of that allegiance. They need a brotherhood that's closer. You know, these friends that stick closer to their brother. That's how Solomon described it in Proverbs. He says, you know, there's, there's, a, there's friends who are unreliable, and one who has an unreliable friend comes to ruin. But there also is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This is even speaking to language that would be used about Christ that there's no greater love than a friend who sticks closer than a brother who would lay his life down, right? This is what would describe our Christ, our Savior. He also describes it this way in, in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. He says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Read it out loud. Three are even better. 
for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When I have conversations with guys, I, uh, when this, you know, this, this kind of gets stirred up in me, I really feel strongly that men need a minimum, minimum of three other men in their life. Three other men in their life that they have intentionally crafted those relationships in which they not only know those men, but those men know you. They don't know, you know them and they know you, and you love them, okay? Hear the words, you love them. For men, that means you would take a bullet for them. That's what it means, right? You love them. That's not something we usually say very often, but that's what it means. It means that they are your brothers. They are your family. They become your blood. They be, there's nothing you would not do for them. Men need a minimum of three in their life. I'm not talking about your tribe, your workout tribe. I'm not talking about your coworkers. I'm not talking about your acquaintances. I'm not talking about the guys you go for a beer with. I'm talking about Christ-centered men in your life who call you up to be a better man. That's what you need. I've been fortunate in my life to not just have three. I've had, I've had a couple of guys have been with me for a long time. I've had other men that, that have grown really close with, and I've grown close to them. And I, I feel so incredibly blessed to have incredible Christ-centered friendships that when I'm in an issue or I'm, I'm being passive, I can get called out to accept the responsibility for my life, to accept the responsibility for decisions I made, to lead courageously to not just try to squeeze this lemon of life for all the juice I can get out of it for me, but to live so I'm expecting God's greater reward. Men, we need it. We need this brotherhood. Okay, I know, I know we're not the best at emotional language and, and feelings, you know? Maybe a grunt or two is all you can handle, right? Well, find the right guy and he'll grunt back with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, find the right one. And make a commitment. And these, listen, these are just three things, okay? You could probably come up with your own list of ways in which you know you can live up to the person. You can, you can be the man that God's called you to be. Maybe there's something in this list that's, that's really important to you. Maybe there's something I mentioned earlier through the book that really speaks to you. Maybe there's something that God through his spirit right now has been impressing on your heart. I want you to just be in tune to that because this is not out of reach, Okay? I'm just letting you know, the more our culture and the more society dumbs down and lowers the bar for what it's going to mean to be a man and take to be a nice, safe man, the worse our society is going to become. You need to be able to be called up to that honorable, noble, righteous man of valor that he has called you and created you to be. And guys, it is not out of reach. It's not. It's not, th thank you so much for the dads in the room. You are already playing a role. You are already a huge part of what God has already placed in your life. But every one of us can get better. And every one of us can continually be reminded that we have a will to obey and we have a work to do. And we have to fight that passivity that lies in us and move to lead courageously. And when our culture kind of pushes back because you want to live into the strength, you want to live into the calling, you want to pledge that allegiance, you want to, you want to live with that band of brothers, when they push back, just understand, they want you to apologize for every man 
Every, every, every act of toxic, uh, toxic masculinity, they want you to apologize for all that has gone wrong. And I'm telling you right now as your pastor, stop apologizing and start leading. Stop apologizing and start leading. You can be the man that God is calling you to be. I want all the men and boys, young men and old men and middle men, right? I want all the men to stand up in the room real quick. Stand up. This morning, I just want to pray for you. And the, and the ladies in our church are going to pray with us as a church, and we're going to pray for you. I can't tell you how important your role is. I can't tell you how important your role is as a dad, but I cannot tell you you're important, how important your role is as a man in our culture in raising the next generation and the influence that we have. Young men in the room, find a community of men now to surround you in your life and speak into you. We as a church are counting on you. We are praying for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up the men in this room this morning. For those that are watching online later and just the heart of those that were here first service, I, God, my heart is just filled with joy that they have made the commitment to be in your house today. They've committed to bring their families and be engaged in this church today. That they're here to receive a message of encouragement. That yes, although there is some cultural pushback, although there are some things out of their control that seem a little bit too large to handle, God, for you, they, every person in this room, every man in this room can be the man that you've called them to be. It's not out of reach. And it's not in their strength alone, God. They do need to step into their strength, but it's through their strength that you've given them and your strength within them. Your Holy Spirit that produces the fruit, that aligns their strength with the fruit to live out their life and love others. I'm praying today, God, that you would, you would revive their heart to pledge allegiance to you to let that thing that's wired in them just give it all to you, to, to, to find the men in their life and to just intentionally invest in those relationships so that they can not only know others, but they can be fully known. And that, God, they will, they will trust the strength you've given them, not to oppress and not to abuse and not to use for their own purposes, but, God, to be used for the work you've called us to do. I pray for all of this, in your name only, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a seat.